0: Biology 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 Hello and welcome back to another episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. As always, we're going to be going through the syllabus, and today we are going to be skipping a dot point or two. Uh, and the first one we're going to be skipping is assess the significance of coding and non-coding DNA segments in the process of mutation. Now we're skipping this one because I have an interview in a couple weeks with another professor, which is wonderful, who's going to come on and talk about his work around non-coding DNA and its importance, as well as the role of mutation in coding DNA as well. The next one we're going to skip is uh, the dot point, investigate the causes of genetic variation relating to the processes of fertilization, meiosis, and mutation. Now, really, we have done this dot point already. The causes of genetic variation in fertilization all come down to random chance, which sperm meets which egg. In meiosis, we've gone through random segregation, independent assortment, and crossing over all leading to an increase in variation. And more recently, we've talked about genetic variation in terms of mutation. So mutations um, allowing for new alleles to be created or um, causing lethal alleles or or issues to come about um, that cause uh, less variability in a species. But that's Again, something that we have already addressed. So I'm going to go over those today. I'm going to skip over those today. And we're going to move straight on to the last dot point before the biotechnology section, which is evaluate the effect of mutation, gene flow, and genetic drift on the gene pool of populations. So we'll start off with mutation in this dot point again. And it's always good to be reminded of the inquiry question when we do this dot point, which is... How does mutation introduce new alleles into a population? So this is really the summary dot point of all of the previous things that we've learned. Mutation is the source of all new alleles in a population. Therefore, it's going to change the gene pool. If you introduce new alleles, if it's a favorable trait, it's going to increase genetic variability immediately, but it may in the long term decrease variability because if it's selected for and it selects other traits out, it can change the structure of the gene pool and the frequency of the alleles. So it is important to remember that um, in terms of mutation, most mutations are going to be negative or detrimental, but some can be positive. And those positive changes can cause big changes in gene pools and the allele frequencies that already um, are there. Now, when we talk about other mutations that could affect Um, an individual species, a good example to bring up here would be the idea of antibiotic resistance. So this is a beneficial mutation for bacteria, not for us unfortunately, but something that occurs in bacteria where their exposure to um, enough antibiotics and the variability and mutation rates in the bacterial DNA it allows them to survive certain um, antibiotics and that has then been passed on and passed on and passed on. Therefore, mutation, which has... Changed variability has led to the selection of those individual antibiotics, uh, sorry, individual bacteria to survive. So a really good example there of mutation leading to a change in the gene pool. Now the allele frequency of those genes obviously is going to increase. Um, If we can't kill them with a certain type of antibiotic, that selection pressure is then going to be removed and therefore that allele will probably more easily spread through the population. So that's one good example there. Another one you can bring up is the idea that the mutation occurs on different types of genes. So it could be a dominant gene, or it could be a recessive gene, or a co-dominant gene. And you can talk about all the possibilities there. So if it's recessive, it's less likely to be selected for, so it may permeate through a population for a long period of time before being recognized. Whereas if it's dominant, it's going to be either selected for or against. So another good example of how you can apply mutation to different examples. All right, now we're going to move on to gene flow and how it may affect a population or a gene pool. With gene flow, the definition itself is the act of transferring genetic information from one population to another. But this one's certainly easier to understand when you give some examples. And there are lots of examples you could use, um, but one of the easiest ones for students to understand is the idea of plants Um, or flowering plants that can pollinate and the idea that there is a river that is in between two populations of the same species. Now, because there's a river in between them, they're exposed to maybe slightly different environmental pressures and so they might have slightly different features or variations. In other words, there might be certain alleles present in each population. But every now and then there may be a large gust of wind or the wind might change direction and blow one set of pollen onto the other plant. Now, when that does happen, that's going to increase gene flow. You're going to get the movement of alleles from one population that has been developing on its own to the other population that has developed on its own. And therefore, there's a chance that some of the variation that has been developed, maybe perhaps through mutation or through small changes in their DNA... Um, during DNA replication, but those small variabilities or those small allele changes then can be transferred to the other population. So that increase in gene flow is going to cause the other species to then, again, go up in allele frequency in terms of the total percentage of alleles, and this may increase their chance of survival. So really, gene flow is very important for increasing variability in populations. Without good or high levels of gene flow, you can have significant issues. Um, and there's one uh, Australian example you can you can look up, which is the black-footed rock wallaby, um, and they kind of live on very remote islands um, off the coast of Australia. But there's so few of them on the island that unfortunately, the uh, wallabies have high rates of inbreeding, which can lead to more genetic issues, unfortunately. So a lack of gene flow is a really detrimental thing to an organism because, first of all, they don't have variability or high levels of variability, um, which means they can't survive significant environmental changes. So having high levels of gene flow um, or just gene flow through a population is, is usually a good thing in terms of survival for the species. Um, now in terms of speciation so if you want uh, one species to turn into another one that's separation so the river we just talked about there might be so large that the species never actually pollinate each other's flowers and then they develop into two new subspecies so gene flow is not good if you're looking to make two new species um, but in terms of keeping a particular species alive it is very important now, gene flow, again, is usually very important for those in smaller populations. You want to have more gene flow or you want to have a larger allele percentage. As you learned in year 11, having the greatest amount of variability is going to lead to a higher chance of selection given environmental pressures, uh, environmental pressures or sexual pressures. And so gene flow is very important for the movement of alleles to increase variability. Um, Some examples you could give is potentially an island where, again, you have a a number of um, cats, for example, just normal tabby cats, and then you bring over a different subspecies, so say a Maine Coon cat, um, into into that population, and therefore you're going to introduce new alleles to that population. So the gene flow, you're going to introduce um, a new subset of alleles, which is going to increase variability in the species of cats on that small island. Now, one final example that I have noticed come up quite a bit in past papers is where there is human interaction. So uh, one example today that I read was about the, um, I think it was the Golden Eagle in, in Scotland. And they were having a breeding program where they were trying to introduce new alleles into the population because they had relatively low numbers in a particular area. And the idea was to bring um, different golden eagles from other parts of the world to increase that gene flow in the population and therefore give them a higher chance of survival given environmental pressures. So human interaction is, is um quite often asked around this question in terms of the impact that we have by breeding programs and things like that. So another good one to, to bring up there. Um, and there's lots of examples you can give like that, but that's definitely a couple of good ones. So gene flow, the transfer of genetic variation from one population to another. Um, and they do have to be the same species because they have to be able to transfer uh, DNA or procreate. All right, now we're going to talk about genetic drift. And genetic drift is another mechanism of evolution, but instead of being down to natural selection, this is just a pure chance moment or event. And so with genetic drift, when you have changes in the population, this certainly is going to significantly affect the gene pool. Um, And there are lots of different examples of random chance events we can talk about, um, and I'll go through those now. So the first one is a simple one. We have gone through Punnett squares already and you guys would know that given any Punnett square, there's a percentage chance of certain outcomes. Now let's say that two individuals had a 25% chance of having a, uh, a child that was short. Uh, now that doesn't mean that their first child necessarily will be short or their second or their third, but it is possible that they could have five children and they could all be short. There's a 25% chance. Now, if that happened, if 25% uh, chance, but they had all five offspring have that short allele, and we're suggesting that it's a recessive allele, let's use the lowercase t, that means that all the offspring have the lowercase t. And it means that the higher case or uppercase t no longer exists in that small individual family. And so that genetic variation is lost. Now, that's just pure chance, the chance of certain offspring being bred. We can use another example here when we look at rabbit um, coat color. So if you had a rabbit population where there were a brown and a white rabbit, and again, they procreated and made offspring, and unfortunately, 100% of their offspring came out brown, even though that there was a you know 50% chance of that happening. It means that the white allele could potentially be lost from the population. So that's a random chance event that we put under the title of genetic drift. It's where we get a, a, a movement of alleles out of the population. Um, and so usually genetic drift is a bad thing. You don't want genetic drift to occur because it's gonna decrease variability. So by losing that tall allele or the white fur coat color, they have then you know decreased their chances of survival given a selection pressure. So remember, this is not natural selection. However, all of it is important in the end in terms of you overcoming natural selection pressures. So that's important to remember. So random chance event, random chance of you being or your offspring being born a particular size, shape or color. And sometimes it can unfortunately remove alleles from a population. So genetic drift. Now the easier ones to understand are those that uh, we put under the titles of the bottleneck effect and the founder effect. So, The bottleneck effect I spoke about in my interview with uh, Professor Vanessa Hayes, where I gave the example of a jar of jelly beans. Now, imagine you have an enormous jar of jelly beans and it has every color that you can think of in terms of jelly beans. Now, a bottleneck effect is where there is an event happens that wipes out a large Portion of the population, and only a few remain. And so some good examples you can often bring up are things like earthquakes or volcanoes or bushfires is another good one for Australian animals. Now, when that happens, when there's this large random chance event, no animal can be prepared for it. There's no natural selection involved in this process. But when it does happen, it wipes out a huge percentage of that population. And what you're left with, the animals you're left with, is the new starting population, So like the jar of jelly beans, when you fill it up with all these different colors, a random chance event happens and you tip out just a few of the jelly beans and those few jelly beans that come out are going to be the start of the new species and all of the alleles in the rest of that population are now gone. All those jelly beans and all those other colors are now gone and all you're left with are the three or four jelly beans that you've taken out and that variation combination. So a significant event like that is going to have a very detrimental effect on the, first of all, number of alleles in a population and, more importantly, the genetic variability in a population. It's going to significantly decrease it. So the new starting population has less variability, therefore they're going to have less chance of surviving environmental changes. So bottleneck effect, very common um, thing to talk about um, in terms of, of things that can happen. Um, but usually when the species is large enough, it's not going to have a significant effect. So if there's a volcano that wipes out a bunch of ants on an island and there's you know millions and millions of ants across the entire island, it's not going to necessarily impact that species. You're not going to take out that much variation. But if it's on a remote island with very few ants and you wipe out 90% of the population and you're left with 10%, well, then you're going to have issues. You're going to certainly decrease that variation, and that's not what you want. So that's the bottleneck effect. Good one to use the uh, the jelly bean jar as an example. Now, very similar to that is the founder effect. Now, the founder effect kind of starts in the same way, and the best example here to use is certainly Darwin's finches. So this is where an event happens that removes maybe a small portion of a population. So again, um, uh, there were some finches on a on a on a. One of the continents somewhere and a big gust of wind came and blew you know a few of them onto an island and it just happened to be the galapagos islands now those birds that landed on that island are going to start a new um species or they're going to start a new population i should say but the variation they're starting with is whoever landed on that island so it was a random chance event that you know blew maybe 10 15 of these birds onto an island And now they've got to start their entire population over again with only the genes that they carry. Now, again, this is going to have a detrimental effect and they're unlikely to survive in this situation unless, you know, you land on a paradise island with all the possible resources you could ever want, which is what happened with Darwin's finches. And so those finches managed to find their ecological niche and over... Again, over a long period of time, their variation um, led to them having different selection pressures on different islands, and they actually, you know, it caused speciation. So they actually changed um, due to adaptive radiation. But from the beginning, the idea is that founder effect the the random chance event that a few of the small uh, a few of the species landed on an island or were blown onto the island and had to start the new population that's going to have a significant effect on the variation that already exists. And so that could be a significantly detrimental thing to those organisms. Well, I hope that was helpful, guys. And um, if you ever need more help, come on over to the Facebook page. You can always send me a message as well. Um, I'm always thankful for all the support I'm getting with this. And yeah, I hope you guys have a good one. Uh, Make sure you do check out stemreactor.com.au as well. If you're a school or a school group or even a student wanting to do some biotech, the uh, amount of resources and the stuff they have over there are really cool and very interesting. So make sure you check out stemreactor.com.au for all your biotechnology needs.